Well, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And as you do, just listen. One of the things I love about our church is when you say open your Bible, the, the sound of the leaves of Bibles turning is such a sweet encouragement. Ephesians chapter 4. If you also take your bulletins while you're there, I've put the outline in here so that you could take notes. And yes, I know I made a typo on uh, the four essentials for effective biblical communication. Just say four. So it'll help you remember it, I think. So um, I am from Tennessee, so English is technically my second language. Um, So please uh, uh, thank you for your grace on that. And the reason I want you to take notes, and I don't often ask you or encourage you to take notes, is today we're going to talk about talking, and I want you to have some encouragement to be able to talk about talking as well. I want to read the extended section and context for this passage, because I think it's super important, and without the context, you could be lost in just kind of a a morass of just do this and don't do that. There's a bigger context here. To give you a head start, the gospel is the bookend before and after this section that Paul talks about regarding communication. Ephesians 4, I'll begin in verse 17. Paul says, So I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need." Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ 
also has forgiven you. We're coming to the close in the next couple of weeks of our summer series on marriage and the family and relationships and our state that God has placed us in in life, whether it's a husband, a wife, a father or mother, a single, a young person, an old person, older person, let's just say that. I wanna begin by kind of a sweeping statement. And I'm always careful of saying big, broad, sweeping statements, but this is carefully crafted, so I wanna read it, okay? In almost four decades of pastoral counseling, I have come to the conclusion, strong conclusion, I would call it a conviction, that nine out of 10 problems in marriages begin with problems with communication. Now, that may not be the final manifestation of a marital problem or marital trouble, but I'm convinced that is where most problems start. In a similar way, I think that problems, most problems between parents and children find their source in bad communication. Said another way, the core of every problem in marriage and premarital relationships and parents and children and body life relationships, the core of every problem really results from selfishness. And selfishness is transported and manifested by our tongues, by our communication more than anything else. So in our series on marriage and the family, the glory of God and who we are and the state God has put us, I think it's important that we now turn our attention to how we relate. We've been talking about who a man is to be as a husband, who a woman is to be as a wife, who a single is to be before God. And now we need to look at the, the relationships that we share together. Now, full disclosure, okay, I gotta say this. If you find something that you really like at a restaurant, they typically talk about some secret ingredient or secret sauce. And so I call this the, the secret sauce of all relationships, but I was informed by my, my, one of my sons, let's just say his name rhymes with Mark this morning, that that was a really cheesy title. So, okay, I get it. <laughs> but get the idea. This is what makes the dish sweet. This is what makes relationships work. And it's not really a secret. It's right here in plain view in Ephesians 4. Now, just a little head start. This morning is gonna be a combination sermon. It's, it's, it's part theology lesson. It's part exposition. It's part biblical counseling. And it's part pastoral care. So let's just dive in. And I, I trust that it will be an encouragement to you as you think better about how you communicate one with the other. If you want to make traction in any relationship, any relationship, if you want to excel in your relationships, if you want to mend a relationship that's broken, if you want to grow in the grace and godliness of being in a relationship, it begins and moves forward through communication. Understanding how to communicate in a God-honoring way is the one non-negotiable in a Christian's life that makes relationships work and glorify God, even if the person on the other side of your communication is not receptive. It's still 
our goal. It's what makes a relationship sweet and pleasant. Here in Ephesians 4, specifically verses 25 to 29, Paul places communication, I hope you heard it, in between admonitions about the gospel and growing in Christ and the gospel and and learning how to forgive by looking to Christ, in the middle of that is how we communicate. That's not by accident. In this text, we're gonna find four principles of communication that will influence our relationships. And I think that if you dial in on these, you will see a definite, a measured improvement in how your prayer life begins to respond and how you relate to the people that you love and you know, how you relate to people that are difficult. So in order to understand this piece, I want to I think again about the sandwich. In verses 17 to 24, righteous communication, listen, is the fruit of conversion. Oh, you could go to a psychology class and learn four principles of communication, but that's not what this is. What this is, is learning how to communicate and why to communicate in the way we communicate because of what Christ has done for us. You look at verse 17 to verse 19. He says, you need to move away from your old life. All of those dimensions of being in our old life have to do with our thinking, our understanding. Look at what he says in verse um, 17. The Gentiles walk in the uselessness of their thinking, their mind, darkened in verse 18, and their understanding. Hear these mind words, these thinking words, excluded from the life of God because of their ignorance. They don't know what they don't know. But, verse 20, one of the pillars of my own personal devotional life. In contrast to the way that you and I lived as unbelievers, Paul says, you did not learn Christ in this way. That's significant. He didn't say you did not learn how to be sanctified. He could have said that. He didn't say you didn't, did not learn how to be good instead of bad. He could have said that. He could have said you, you didn't learn how to be holy and not unholy. He could have said that. But he sums all of it up in saying you did not learn, verse 20, Christ in this way. That's That's an awkward construction in Greek and in Hebrew. You did not learn Christ in this way. In other words, the curriculum of all Christian living is the person of Christ. It's the man who was God, who reigns forever as a resurrected Savior and offers salvation to all who believe. He is the curriculum. And I I cannot overemphasize this enough. If you just begin with a bunch of four, specifically, communication principles and say, I'm gonna apply this, and you don't understand this is the result of learning Christ, you'll miss the whole point. Are we learning Christ? So that, verse 22, in reference to our former life as unbelievers, We lay aside that person we were, the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance to the lusts of deceit. Whole sermon could be framed on that phrase, lusts of deceit. All of our our desires, our lusts, visceral desires, are liars. They tell us that they will bring us long and lasting satisfaction, but they, they won't. They lie. 
and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's the thinking again, put on the new self in the likeness of God. We're imitating him. It's been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We're gonna talk in a minute about speaking truth. Paul says here, truth comes from, it's embedded in holiness. And holiness is obviously the attribute that sums up all the attributes of God. Verse 25, therefore, do you see it? Do you see it? Based on gospel thinking, based on gospel change, based on learning Christ, laying aside the old self, therefore, and then he launches into this this little section, this paragraph on communication. It's, It's encouraging and humbling to me that of all the dimensions of our sanctification, Paul drills down, Paul zeroes in with a laser focus and says, based on the gospel that's changing your life, communicate better. This is what makes marriages thrive. This is what makes marriages heal. This is what makes marriages grow. This is what makes parent and children, child relationships flourish. And this is actually the connective tissue of all of our relationships, single or married in the church and how we relate one to the other. Righteous communication is the fruit of conversion. Proverbs 18, 21 says, think about this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. What does that mean? Well, certainly lives have been lost by by, uh, things that people have spoken. We could see that. But as true as that is, I think he's speaking of destroying a person's life or building up a person's life by what you say. We've said it before. The worst lie I was ever told was this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I've broken bones, I've torn ligaments, I've, I've strained uh, tendons, I've, I've turned my ankles, I've, I've done things that hurt. Gotten over most of them. There's some echoes of those, but they don't, they don't hurt extended. There are things, let me, let me just be really vulnerable with you for a moment. There are things that people said to me, kids said to me when I was six or seven years old, that if I think about with any depth right now, they still hurt. That's what it means by death and life are in the power of the tongue. So because what we say is so powerful, it's impressive to me, Paul knowing that, puts communication on these bookends of understanding how to apply the gospel. And right in the center of that, the meat in the sandwich is how to communicate one with the other. So let's dial in four essentials for effective biblical communication. Four essentials for effective biblical communication. Those are synonyms, effective and biblical, or should be one and the same. Number one, communicate verbally. Now that seems obvious, but oh my, is it not? Communicate verbally. Verse 25, therefore, laying aside falsehood, here's the word, speak. Stop right there. Speak. Look back over at verse 15. Speaking 
the truth in love. Let's narrow in just for a moment on this word speak. The best and surest form of communication is language. Please be careful assuming someone understands you unless you clearly articulate your thoughts and feelings. Have you ever been misunderstood or misunderstood someone because they didn't say exactly what they were thinking or desiring? The answer is all of us, of course, yes. Learn to communicate. Talking is easy, communicating isn't. You understand the difference? Saying words is not necessarily communicating. Listen to politicians. It's called circumlocution. It's the use of a lot of words with no meaning. Don't assume anything on the receiving side that's not explicitly stated. Be careful making assumptions that you understand something that has not been articulated and don't assume you've been understood without speaking. Just as a married person, I can tell you how many times I have been wrong on both sides of this. Well, honey, you knew what I thought. Actually, Rick, no, I didn't because you never said it. And then me thinking, oh, I know what you thought, but she didn't say it and I was wrong. It's an amazing thing. Words are, words are really cool things. They're quite helpful in relationships, all relationships. Now, when I said this is part of theology lesson, let's just, let's attach as, as good Mission Road Bible Church members, let's attach this to our theology. Have you ever thought about the, the theology of verbal communication and where it came from? This is critical because it is this, it's the wake that you and I ski in and the wake creator is God himself. Just listen, just listen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What, what verse is that? Sword drill. Genesis 1-1, good, just listen. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Verse three, then God said. Verse five, God called. Verse six, God said. Verse eight, God called. Verse nine, God said. Verse 10, God called. Verse 11, God said. Verse 14, God said. Verse 20, God said. Verse 22, God blessed them saying. Verse 24, God said. Verse 26, God said. Should I keep going? Verse 28, God said to them. The chapter ends, then God said in verse 29. I, I think it's important for us to realize that God moved, created, formed the universe by what we call divine fiat or by speaking. He could have just snapped his fingers and it was all there. But he's saying something to us by saying something to us. He moved an entire existence by speaking. He's showing us the power of verbal communication. Not sold on that? John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. What do words do? They communicate. It's the logos. You could say in the beginning was the divine communication. Everything to be known about God was in the beginning. There was this, this corpus of knowledge about God, the word, the communication about God. It was there in the beginning. And the word was with God. 
And the word, the communication was God. Now, if you're reading this for the very first time, I know you've heard this most of your Christian life, but think about reading this for the very first time. Listen to it with with fresh ears. In the beginning was the word. What do you think of when you think of words? Communications, A, a word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Then he says, he, he was in the beginning with God. Ah, we find out that the word is a he. All things came into being through him, the word. Apart from the word, him, nothing came into being that's come into being. In him was life. Life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. Do not miss the connection. Light dispels darkness. Light makes you see what you cannot see. Words communicate ideas that you would not know without words. See the connection? Light and words have a, have a, a synonymous kind of revealing dimension to them. Verse 11 of John 1, he, Jesus, came to his own. Those were his own. The Jews did not receive him, but as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, human, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Add that, add to that Hebrews 1, 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, the prophets, many portions, many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son in the language of divine incarnation. Now put all this together to, to show you God is the author of communication. God is the designer of communication. God is the clearest communicator that there's ever been. And part of us as image bearers being made in the image of God is the ability to communicate. The animals don't communicate like you and I communicate. Oh, they can, they can bark and chirp and tweet and uh, do all sorts of things, pun intended, with uh, one another. But that's not the same as sharing their feelings and their emotions and, and, and their longings and their desires and their thoughts. Only humans do that because we are made in the image of God who is a communicator and has given us the gift of communication. Yet, as we'll see in a minute, Satan takes the opportunity in our bad communication to wedge himself between us and God and cause havoc in relationships. We don't have time, but in Exodus 33, Moses taken up on the mountain to get the new tablets of God because he broke the old tablets of God um, and for righteous reasons. And he says, Lord, show me your glory. <laughs> Which appeals to what sense? Eyes. Show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And God's answer was, I will tell you my name. God said the most basic, reliable, fundamental way that I can communicate is not through some visual show. It's through me telling you. Remember, God left us a book, not a video. 
That's by design. He is verbal. And so should you and I be when we talk. So in light of that, God alone invented communication. God alone communicates perfectly and perspicuously or clearly. God is the source of verbal communication. God is our example of communication. We look to God, who's the author of the gospel, who spoke in his son to know that we speak because of the gift of his grace underneath the sovereign rule theologically of us being image bearers who can communicate like God communicates as a mirror. So communicate verbally. This is all to say talk. Don't make assumptions that you're understood. Don't make assumptions that you understand without talking. Is it fair to say that most of our misunderstandings is because we make assumptions not based on words in all relationships? Talk, communicate verbally. Number two, communicate honestly. Communicate honestly. (laughs) Verse 25 again, therefore laying aside falsehood. Now stop right there. He didn't say, if perchance you've ever been false. In that statement, listen friends, is the assumption that we are by our unsaved natures liars. And the part of the sanctification process is becoming truth bearers like God. Lay aside falsehood. That is every and any kind of falsehood. You may say, maybe say, well, I'm not really a liar. Really? Do you overstate? Understate? Do you do half-truths? Do you say more than needs to be said? That's falsehood. Laying aside falsehood. Now he quotes Psalms. Speak the truth, each one of you, Psalm 34, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. This is the fundamental glue between relationships in the body of Christ, independent of father, mother, husband, wife, single, it doesn't matter. We're members of one another, which he explains in chapter three, four, and five. Look across the page at verse 15. A collateral thought. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects of him who is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Literally means clinging to what is true and right. So when we communicate, we say the truth. We say what we mean. We mean what we say. But as verse 15 says, it's tempered with love. You can, I can, because of this little phrase, speaking the truth in love, We can say something completely true in a sinful way if it's not said with love, right? And we've all been recipients, unfortunately, of people who have spoken truth to us without that being controlled or flavored by love. We temper our honesty with love. 1 Peter 3.10 says, the one who desires life to love and to see good from his days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. In other words, from Psalm 34, make sure you keep your lips from speaking deceit. Now, if you're honest, and I hope you are with yourself, maybe on a drive, maybe on a walk, maybe when you have some time, just sit and think about 
How many tiny little dimensions of the way we communicate have the seasoning of falsehood? are not completely the truth, are intended to mislead. Paul is saying we we move away from that. Peter is saying you keep your lips far from speaking deceit. Paul must have been thinking about our Lord Jesus. Matthew 12, 33, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit Speaking to the Pharisees, he says, you brood of vipers, you snakes. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? There's, a, there's an interesting connection there. You're evil in your heart. How can you then use your lips in communication to do what's right, to do what's good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, Matthew 12, 34. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. He gets more specific. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. The evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you, every, listen, every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. We haven't even got to the most specific part yet. Every word we speak will be scrutinized by the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the judge of all judges one day. Every careless word. How important is this? Verse 37 says, Matthew 12, 37. By your words, your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. What does that mean? Well, it's explained back up in verse 34. What comes out of your mouth is in your heart. So it's obviously a reflection of your heart. Justification, saved people are first and foremost influenced in what they say and how they say it. Isn't it interesting? In the commissioning of Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, you remember the, Threshold is trembling. The incense smoke is filling the temple. God's <coughs> train of his robe is, is so big, it's just like swallowing him like a tsunami. Overwhelmed by sight, by sound, by smell. Then he hears, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. By the way, John 12 says that was the Lord Jesus Christ sitting on that throne. What is Isaiah's response? I am a man of unclean lips. This is the prophet of God, don't miss this, who his first awareness and conscious awareness of his own sinfulness was his mouth. And it's so beautiful. It is so wonderful, so glorious that the angel then takes tongues and goes over and gets the cleansing coal from the fire of incense and brings it and touches Isaiah's mouth. That's significant. From the abundance of the heart, Jesus, the mouth speaks. You know what's in a person's heart by what they say and how they say it. 
speaking the truth in love. It's not only what you say, it's the way we say these things as well. You can be a very truthful person and a mean ogre and God will hold you equally as culpable of sin as if you were an absolute blatant liar. Do you listen to yourself? For false pretenses, by accident, for whatever reason, just for a moment, have you ever been recorded in a way that, or at a time when you didn't know you recorded? Forgetting the motivation for a second, and then heard that recording and thought, Ooh, I said that, sounded like that. God's recorder is on all the time. Are we honest? And is our honesty flavored with love? Communicate honestly. Lay aside falsehood. We all have dimensions of falsehood in our communication One of your primary areas of sanctification, one of mine should be to lay aside anything that's false and speak truth. Well, each of these could demand much more time. Number three, communicate verbally, communicate honestly. Number three, communicate regularly. Communicate regularly. Now, this is might be not as obvious at first, but he says in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. It's a quote from Psalm 4.4. And do not give the devil an opportunity. What, what is going on here? He's saying, don't let an unresolved issue that has made you angry go overnight. Very simple. Don't postpone Restoration. I have said it more times than I, I can remember, but I want to say it again. When my wife and I were in premarital counseling <laughs> under my good friend Stuart Scott, who was uh, teaching on this passage, he said, I want to encourage you, we weren't married yet, he says, I want to encourage you to make a commitment on your honeymoon night that you will never go to bed as a married couple with an unresolved issue. Now, we had butterflies and we're saying, unresolved issue. We're never going to have an issue. It's just going to be wonderful. And then the honeymoon came and you realize, oh, there are unresolved issues that could happen. So Kim and I, by God's grace, tried to apply that. And let me tell you, friends, there have been really late nights (laughs) trying to apply that. But then look at the next phrase, do not give the devil an opportunity. And we tried, we backfilled that and said, wait a minute, if, if an unresolved relationship gives the devil an opportunity, then instead of just waiting to, till bedtime so we're not going overnight, let's back it up to say, when you have an unresolved conflict, don't leave the room without resolving it. Which took away my patented response of pouting and leaving in the room which is a really good response I've heard, books I've read. Took it away. No storming out, no walking out. 
Because that gives the devil an opportunity. Then God gave us kids and a van to tote the kids with us. Not a trailer where they were out back, but a van in the same place. And Kim and I sometimes would get into disagreements and squabbles in front of the boys. And we said, you know what? If they see us get into a conflict, we need to get out of it in front of them too. Which began, ask my sons, which began this mantra of dad saying, honey, will you forgive me? 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 Will you please forgive me? That's just the the thing they've heard dad say probably more than anything else growing up. What you don't want to do with children, we're getting into parenting next week, is mom and dad have a squabble. They go in another room and they come out hugging and the kids say, what happened in there? Let them see that you confess sin. You ask forgiveness. You grant forgiveness. It doesn't go Not only overnight, it doesn't go beyond the van ride or the car ride. It's regular. Take care of relational tensions by communication. Remember the context here is speaking. Take care of those that day, that moment. And listen, I know know I'm gonna step on air hoses when I say this. But I've heard some Christians say, well... Before we resolve things, I just need time to process. I've looked in a lot of places in my Bible and the time to process doesn't show up in any verse. Well, I don't feel yet like making things right. I've never felt like making things right if it includes my confession. So don't, if you wait for your feelings to catch up, You say, well, what if I'm really angry? Repent. What if they're really angry? Pray. The point is this passage says, if you have an unresolved anger issue, the devil has an opportunity. Why in God's holy, precious realm would we want to postpone having God be in the center of our relationships and give the devil an opportunity for any length of time? That's worldly thinking. That's godless thinking. That's human thinking. But I don't feel like it. I know. So do what's right and let your feelings follow. Be angry. Don't sin. Don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger because you will give the devil an opportunity. Never let the day's sins and problems go overnight and if possible, resolve them in the very moment. That's with, that's with parents and children as well. Without being specific, was a situation that arose this morning in which I was talking with a very young child, which I was fine with, and the response wasn't probably what the parents wanted. They walked away. Ten minutes later, they came back, and the child asked Pastor Rick's forgiveness. I was really encouraged that they didn't let it go long. Let's deal with things right now. What is more important than our soul, than our health, than our holiness? Nothing, nothing. 
Communicate regularly. And number four, this is really the the heart of the whole passage. (coughs) Communicate purposefully. In verse 28, he talks about if you steal, steal no longer. Verse 29, he comes back to communication. Let no unwholesome words, stop right there. Unwholesome means corrupt, rotten, foul speech. It can be used of curse words and cuss words, but it's most often slander, gossip, and hurtful speech. Something you say that intends to deceive or hurt someone. Let no unwholesome word even come out of your mouth. Even if it's in your heart, crucify that desire there, Paul says. Don't let it come out of your mouth. What does come out of our mouths, Paul? But only, look at the comprehensive nature. Only, only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. No, and the words no and the words only talk about the comprehensive nature of the holiness that's to attend our communication. Speak on purpose, Paul says. Be in control of your lips and language. Use your words specifically to build up and not tear down. Edification, he says, use them for edification, is actually a a word in, in, in the Greek that has the word house in the middle of it. It means construct a house, do construction. Build up instead of tear down. That's very interesting because he says your language will either build something constructive or it will destruct something precious to God. Speaking has a positive and purposeful and a meaningful dimension. Godly communication is also timely. It understands the need of the moment. Sometimes things need to wait. This is a silly illustration, but for some reason in the first grade with Mrs. Cunningham, a long time ago, 1969, I remember this. Maybe I remember most because she told my parents about it with me. But anyway, she was up there lecturing, you know, see Dick run, see Jane wear a blue dress, all that. And I just remember sitting there thinking, I really remember this like it was yesterday in the first grade. I remember thinking, I'm going on a hike with my dad in the woods this weekend. So in the middle of her, you know, see Dick run, I got up in class and I walked up to her and in front of the whole class, I mean, I was first grade, give me some grace. I said, Mrs. Cunningham, I'm going on a hike this weekend. And I remember her saying, Ricky, that's really nice and important, but it's not important right now for all of us. And she escorted me back to my seat. And I remember as a first grader sitting down there thinking, that wasn't the smartest thing I've ever done. (laughs) You know, that's silly. But think of how many times you and I have said the right thing at the wrong time. In other words, there's awareness and sensitivity to the needs of the moment. Just recently, I was talking to someone who says this. Hey, I can only talk for a minute. I've got I've, I've to run because I have to go somewhere. I've got a commitment. Okay, and then I started talking and talking and talking and talking and ignored the fact that they said, I don't have very long. And I just kind of selfishly ran over that. And they said, finally said, can we talk about this later? I've got to go. Yeah, I'm stupid. 
Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. The need of the mind. We are so, we are such unaware people. Be aware of what's going on around you. The need of the moment. The person that you love and care for. The goal of Christian communication, by the way, is right here. That it may give grace in that moment. It gives grace. What they don't deserve. Kindness. We tend to be the most careless, by the way, and the most carefree with our tongues around the people whom we're closest to and care the most about. Haven't you found that? Proverbs 15, 1 and 2, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge accessible, communicates, but the mouth of a fool spouts folly. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace. Same thing Paul said to the Ephesians. Seasoned with salt. It's tasty. So that you will know how you should respond to each person. That's each person in Colossians 4. It's each moment in Ephesians 4. You bring those together with each person and in each moment we are wise because we're thinking about God's thoughts. We're thinking about their lives. We're trying to experience grace for them and not just communicate out of selfishness. Now, notice how the passage is bookend again by the gospel. Those who speak sinfully and those to whom sinful speech is directed, there is an answer. Don't miss the context. Let no unwholesome speech come out. Only good grace-giving speech for the, the, the moment in awareness. Verse 30 is right after that. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Stop right there. In the law of nearest antecedent, how might you and I grieve the Holy Spirit? By not obeying verse 29. We were sealed for the day of redemption by him. Look at this, still in communication, still in communication. Let all, see if this sounds like it has any um, connection to communication. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, continuing to mull over the same issues. Slander, be put away with you. I love this. With all malice, the, the best definition of the word malice is just meanness. You just don't, you're not mean. Okay, I'm spanked enough, Paul. So what do I do? Verse 32 is connected to our speech. It's the conclusion to this paragraph where he says, be kind. It's the opposite of malice. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving each other. That presumes there's going to be bad communication that travels back and forth between us. Forgiving each other. Look at the gospel. Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. There's the baseline. If we're living in the knowledge of what God has done for us in Christ by forgiving us of our sins, there's nothing anyone could ever say to us or about us that would be as heinous as our sin before the cross, before Christ. Therefore, we can forgive. That's Paul's conclusion of the discussion on righteous speech. Not just some standalone verse, 
It's a wonderful enough verse to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. But that's the conclusion of his section on talking, on communication. James goes so far as to say, listen, if you can control your speech, you are a perfect, mature person. James 3.2, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, literally a mature man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Same thing we learned from Isaiah. The, the entry point of God's holiness into our life, the way God invades us is controlling our speech. And the way that we know he has invaded us is from the heart out because the abundance of the heart, Matthew 12, the mouth does talk. So how can married couples improve their marriage? How can parents improve their parenting? How can kids improve their relationship with their parents? How can those who are unmarried improve their relationships with anybody and everybody? And how can we improve our relationships in the body of Christ? By learning how to communicate better and more biblical. Can I ask you to maybe write this verse down? As a prayer, Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. What a great prayer. Think about that. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. The door imagery is things go out from our mouth. Put a guard there. Let nothing out that should not come out, in other words. What kind of families will we have if these principles in Ephesians 4 were hard at work? What kind of marriages would be improved if these principles were hard at work? What kind of relationships, single or married, anyone would have impact if we put these principles in, in, our, in our church body, in our care groups, in our work, school? I find it compelling that Paul says, learn Christ Forgive like Christ. And those bookends in the middle is communicate in an effective, biblical, godly way.